Hey, 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 what's up? Yep. This oh, is this okay. is <laughs> You're listening to Ergo WHPK 88.5 and ergoradio.com. I'm Kiss. I am Damon and we are here where we make the awkward functional. <laughs> That's our new tagline. Making it awkward with strong young voices from Chicago and beyond. If you don't know what we do, we showcase uh, folks who are reshaping the culture of our city and our country and our world for the more equitable and the more creative uh, this is episode 81 so that's wow. 81 people so far yeah man shout out I, 81 means kobe to me that mm. was that, that game that he had a lot people might not care about our kobe. guest is the kobe bryant of the poetry community so that's perfect that, i don't know anything about sports <laughs> absolutely you're not here for sports talk Jeez. before we get before we get to uh, how are you feeling kobe? today your sweater looks very comfortable thanks it was uh my mom's sweater don't tell her i have it um, it's like a Good very... Good thing she's not going to hear this. <laughs> she does not listen to the podcast. Yeah, my mom. Shout out to our moms. Uh, I think my parents listened to the first couple, and then they were like, if you're gonna, they're yeah. like, if you're going to do a weekly show, like, we're not going to spend a week, yeah. <laughs> an hour every yeah. week listening. That's, a, that's um, an investment. So to those of you who do, we love we you. Appreciate. We love you just almost as much as our mom. Miriam Kaba tweeted yesterday that she has listened to every episode, which is insane. That is... Wow. That's wild. Shout out you, to you. Tied for number one fan with e-viewing. Anyway, let's get into uh, some community announcements. First and foremost, uh, tomorrow night, Friday night, Party Noir is back at the Promontory. Um, it starts at like 10 p.m. It's the late night set, so it's going till like 2 in the morning or something. Go through that. And then on Saturday, uh, during the day, um, there's an event organized by StoryCorps, Cabrini Green Legal Aid, Precious Blood Ministry of Reconciliation, Community Renewal Society, Growing Home, and the Transformative Justice Law Project of Illinois, it's called Dismantling Barriers to Life, a Speak Out on Mass Incarceration. It's a bunch of storytelling, and I, I think it looks it looks really good. And that's from 1 to 4 p.m. on Saturday. You can find the info on Facebook. Um, a couple, like, housekeeping things around here. We're headed to Washington, D.C. at the end of the month. Uh, we're doing a gig at Georgetown that we'll tell you a little bit more about, uh, I believe, next week. Everything will be. I confirmed. mean, tell them now in case they can help us. Because oh, we, so, we might need people. So the, the, the contracts aren't signed yet, um, but we will definitely be there. And I'll tell you who the artist that we're doing a live interview with an Ergo alum on stage at Georgetown as part of their Brave Summit. It's going to be really cool. Um, the 24th. 24th. That's that Friday. And then we're going to be around all weekend kicking it. So, um, I think our guest has a book release that weekend that I'm very excited. We will, the plug will happen. Don't, don't you worry. But also if you are on a campus or at an organization or institution, uh, that would like to bring us in in the DC area, Baltimore, anything like that. Um, we'll we'll come, we'll show up. Yeah, we'll make that move. Um, two more things, real quick. One, a, a reminder that the Ergo tees are available Ooh, on the website. Coffee. They are going. I would say going fast, but they're not going fast. <laughs> they are they are going though. We didn't order that many. <laughs> um, and the special on air promo code, all capital, all one word. We go. You save three bucks on that. And then lastly. I uh, I might have fucked around and made a DJ mix. You did. I did. You and I, su- I support that. Thanks. I'm glad. <laughs> I didn't ask Dame if we could make DJ mixes, but apparently now part of Ergo is we make DJ mixes. You can hear Cottage Groove number one. That's going to be oh, our oh, mix. Oh, Cottage DJ. Groove. I didn't. Yeah. I missed that. When Nobody I caught it, it. I thought it was Cottage Grove. I'm okay with that. Um, that's on our SoundCloud. It's a bunch of folks who I've been listening to mixed together like a DJ does. Thank you for that gift. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> um, any other, any last things you want to throw in there? Um, 
There's a part two. So there was a, like a communal talk series, Black America and Trump, What Now, that happened at the Silver Room. <laughs> That's uh, a funny ass name. It is. It is. It was dope, though. Uh, Joan uh, is the super homie from Coco. She's been around the organizing community, uh, put that together. Uh, and so they're doing a part two, March 19th. So I just wanted to let people know that that's coming up. So, yeah. All right. Um, we have a very special guest. This is the second week in a row we have a guest with fly ass pants. We're going to not talk about it as much as we did with Charles last week. Um, but, but these yes. are on point. Um, she Significant. Is, she is a poet. <laughs> <laughs> a poet, a uh an educator, a fashion icon. <laughs> not a homeowner, though. <laughs> not a homeowner, but we're Shout out to Nate it. Marshall. And <laughs> 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 <No>, homeownership. <laughs> Nate, Nate popped into the building. But our guest today, uh, visiting town, made her way up to the studio. Uh, Safia El Hello. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. How, so we always like to start with this. Sometimes we forget. Mm-hmm. But we like to start with how is the world treating you and how are you treating the world right now? Um... The world is a little weird mm-hmm. right now, um, as ever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've, like, been recycling. Um, <laughs> so I feel like I'm doing Shout my out. part. Uh, <laughs> taking, like, holes. shorter showers. <laughs> that's cool. That's going to be, that's one that's going to be tough to, to shake. The, like, long, nice, good shower. Yeah. But it's, yeah. I'll do, like, a bath every now and then, though. I feel like part <laughs> of my... Uh, as I like entered the second half of my twenties, I'm trying to just do as much stuff like from the bathtub as possible. I'm like taking <laughs> nice. work calls from the Shout bathtub. Out Morgan Parker, <laughs> Word. Uh, I read uh, Khadija Queen's entire book from the bathtub. <laughs> oh man! Did it get damp? The pages? No, no. I like. I it have feels a, so I, unfunctional. This dysfunctional. This no dysfunctional sounds too harsh. <laughs> It's, no, it, it's like surprisingly easy to maneuver. Okay. You know, right. like, cause you, you're always conscious of where the water level is and you just know like not to put the mm, book there. I, I feel like a part of toxic masculinity is a discomfort with baths. Huh. Cause we have to look we, at our You're own missing bodies. so much. Yeah. Cause like, so I, we were like doing tours now with the show and mm. trying to like, you know, get out on the road a little bit. So, Come we, to check. so we went to LA and we got Airbnb mm. and it was like this nice little like cottage little joint. And I like get in the shower hmm. and like try to turn on the shower and I look up and there's no shower. It's just a tub. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it threw my, it threw like our whole joint off. I, like, was, <laughs> I was out getting breakfast. I come back and David goes, so look. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just a bath. <laughs> yeah, it was really, we like had to scrub it off. It was just, I don't know. It just feels. It's like mandatory self-care where you have no choice but to take like a relaxing bath. Yeah. If you want to get- <laughs> we will relax. <laughs> like, like a mean dad. We will have fun on this <laughs> <laughs> but no, the bathtub is great. I just got this thing on Amazon that's like a little like it's basically like a plank of wood, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, but it has like little grooves in it so you can put like a cup there and like an iPad or a book. Um, like so you can just it's like a desk for the bathtub. Or maybe like a you know, a, a yogurt pop or something. <laughs> uh, one one could bring a yogurt pop into the bathtub. There's a special <laughs> specifically for yogurt pop. So so I I think we have been like wanting to have you on the show since we've been doing the show. So mm-hmm. excited to have you here. Why are you here? Why are you? I'm why here are you for uh, in Chicago? the first ever. I don't know if it's annual. I don't know if they'll do this ever again. <laughs> uh, but halal, if you hear me, uh, okay. which is a an open mic and a showcase for Muslim artists from your illustrious city. I am not a Muslim artist from your illustrious city, but I am Muslim. So, <laughs> um, so and I'm you here are to illustrious. host. And you have uh, friends in this city. Yeah. So, you know, I'm like Chicago adjacent. <laughs> um, so I'm here to host and like hang out with the Muslim youths 
and also plug the anthology that Fatih Asghar and I are co-editing. Ergo alum, yeah. How's uh? First of all, you know I like a pun, so I'm I'm overall. So we very can also supportive. thank homeowner Nate Marshall for that pun. Um, <laughs> I don't think he thought we would ever use it in any official capacity. So the moral of the story is like, be careful what you say around this because we might use it for a book wait, title. Wait, wait, what's the title of the book? Halal, Halal if you hear me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll get into all the the the, the work of it, but um, Nate is here. He brought you up to the studio. I know you're staying with him, and you said you are Chicago adjacent. I know you've been to town a bunch and are really connected with folks from here. Uh, what is as a visitor? What is Chicago through the eyes of Nate Marshall? Like, where, do, where does he take you? What's he showing you? Um, we went to. I can't remember the name of the restaurant, but it was not far from here yesterday for dinner. Well, first we went to a bookstore, like straight from the airport. Mm -hmm. um, and we went and he signed a bunch of copies of Wild Hundreds and put them back on the shelf. And we... Oh, wow. So uh, that's move. <laughs> Nate, Jose, and I each signed our page in Breakbeat Poets, the one copy they had on the shelf. Um, so we did some like light vandalism and then went to dinner. <laughs> um, and had an amazing milkshake, mm. uh, which is, is called a Mexicana. And it's like a Mexican hot chocolate, but a milkshake. I'm just imagining how cool that is, like, of a practice. To go in and sign your own book? Yeah. I mean, it's it's a super flex, but, like, <laughs> I'm thinking of two things. I'm thinking of, one, like, being the purchaser of that book, yeah. especially Breakbeats, because that's even cooler, because, yeah. like, you have to find it. So it's not, like, right at the open cover, so it could be, like, a year oh, yeah, It's, in. like, deep in because I'm, like, yeah, of the younger you're, you're a, you're uh, a baby section of, of, of the, the contributors. Group. You, you know. have to go all the way into the 90s to find me, so. <laughs> I heard Nate signed every page. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm trying to also imagine, like, if a store manager or owner caught you, like what that type of like tension? Because like that's yeah. a super cool thing, right? Like it's it's against the rules, but then you have to like show them your ID. Like, no, this is really yeah, this is really me. That's my <laughs> name. <laughs> I just can imagine that being a an interesting like book store. Like, no, no, no. This is you can't get mad at me for putting words in this book. I put all of the words <laughs> <Right>. in this <laughs> book. Um, but but yeah, I know. And we've done some traveling together, and I know you spend an enormous amount of time on the road traveling in, in different capacities. Um, and one of the things that I learned specifically like through the gigs we did together mm. was that sometimes you go on a gig and you have no idea what the room you're walking into is about to be like. Yes. <laughs> um, so I'm curious for you uh, and, you know, bookers listen up like what is the ideal room what do you when, when you're like you show up in the place you're all checked in at the hotel and you're going to do the reading mm. like Ideally, what do you want that room to be? Who do you want to be in that room? What do you want it to feel like? Um, I want it to be very African and very nerdy. Mm. Um, and like recently that's been happening a lot more. And I think because I've been doing a lot more gigs with like African student unions and things of that nature. Mm. Um, so the rooms are just like, exponentially blacker which mm. is great and it's just fun to see you know i feel like a lot of the references in my work make a lot more sense um when and like it's rare that there will be like other sydney's people in the room because like while we're out here we're rarely out here um, <laughs> <laughs> but like sometimes let's, 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 let's unpack that what do you mean what by you out mean? here but rarely out here um i rarely like run into other Sudanese people in the wild but <laughs> but whenever I do it's when I'm like like on my way home from the club like 
inappropriately dressed and my Uber driver is Sudanese and then I like wish he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> can be like showing show up at my reading tomorrow. <laughs> oh, I guess you could. That's actually like, I one of my uh one of my big moves is when I you know I, I sell vegetables on Sundays at the farmers market. Shout I out didn't know vegetables. That. I will always invite my Uber or Lyft drivers to come to the farmers market and get the discount at the farmers market. Nice. I'm a big fan of that move. Also, listeners, you can't all get it, but if either of y'all ever need vegetables, I'm your veggie connect. <laughs> it's good to know. Yeah, and he's 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 serious. He'll show up with a bag of vegetables. For I you. love vegetables. <laughs> so we talk about this. Do you also sell fruits or just vegetables? Uh, Always we have, my question. We have we have strawberries and we have watermelon and cantaloupe in the summer. Word. Um, I think that's it on the fruit end. Shout out to Geneva Lakes Produce, our oh. unofficial sponsor. <laughs> Yo, we well, should get them. To there are like a bunch of vegetables that are actually fruit. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like we learned this when we were. On the road. Teach me. Um, cucumbers are fruit. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, Tomatoes are fruit. Avocados are fruit. Are fruit. Avocados. Peppers are fruit. They yeah. got seeds inside. Yo. Plot twist. Before we get into the, the on the page and before we move away from the vegetables, <laughs> I do, you know, I, I mentioned it and then you just mentioned that we've been on, on the road together. Before I talk about what I loved about that the most, <laughs> um, I'm curious, like... Are there any particular, I'm just mining for stories. Like, mm-hmm. are there any particular moments, good or bad, and we can either omit names or not, um, that stand out from some of those breakbeat gigs that we've done together over the last couple of years? I have a couple uh, thoughts, but I wanted to put it to you first. There was one um, when we did those uh, several dates in Maine, mm-hmm. um, and there was that sort of older white woman who was dressed in like what I think older white women think ethnic garb is. So like (laughs) a lot of like linens and like flowy scarves and like abstract chunky jewelry. Mm -hmm. Um, And she came to all of our readings and all the workshops and would just like like, statewide (laughs) and just like found a way to say something to offend every single person in the group. (laughs) So she was like the biggest fan, but didn't get it. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So would like approach very kindly. And then like in like a kind and gentle tone would just say a really offensive thing. Yeah, but um, she's like is looking you in your eye like so kind like <laughs> like she is like the nicest person and also is the, the most, most like harmful t- tender person. racism I think I've ever experienced. <laughs> yeah, that's that's like that whole Upper East Coast racism. That, yeah, like, Maine, Vermont. I got yeah. I gotta see Get Out. I feel like that's kind of yeah, that's I haven't the seen whole, it yet either. The, but, the whole um, thing because like like what is that? Is that Vermont with like the governor that's like worse than Trump? Maine, Maine. Mm-hmm. Maine that's Maine. Maine that's yeah. that has that crazy yeah. governor dude. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah same. See, if she, you want, I voted for him. Here's an unofficial plug. If you want to see Get Out and you haven't seen it yet, Hoodwazi, which is also happening on Saturday, which I forgot to plug, which is Ricky Gamboa's podcast. Next Wednesday, they're doing a trip to Naperville to watch Get Out, where they're renting I'm hearing about a people school doing bus. This. Oh, man. And like 90 of us are like going to going, Naperville going to Going to white it. spaces to watch this movie. I'm hearing this is like that a direct so action fun. that's been happening. Yeah. Skype me in. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just hold up the FaceTime. Uh, the, the whole movie. Yeah, I mean, so what I loved most mm-hmm. about being on the road with you is like when you're traveling for a week or a couple of weeks, you get this like the, the constant pace of it and, and just think you're going place to place and you don't really get a chance to breathe. And I know it probably wasn't the case for you when you were performing, but as like a audience member slash tour manager, when you were performing, like it was this, this like moment of pause and where time like stood still for a second and I could like breathe and be present. And you like forced me to be present mm-hmm. in a way that other people uh, didn't or couldn't. Um, so I'm curious and some of it gets into how you perform, but for you, when you're at the front of the stage or you're at the microphone, like, do you feel in control of the people in the room or are you just like trying to hold it? Does it feel fragile to you? 
Um, I don't think it is like entirely of my making. How and that's why, like what you know, what the room is like, I think has a lot to do with how the set goes. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of it is sort of like a you know like collaborative created energy uh, mm-hmm. between like me talking to the microphone or whatever and the people in the audience and like you know are they making noise in response or are they like sitting there quietly and golf clapping at the end or you know um or talking in the back or talking in the back (laughs) or like not turning their cell phone ringers off um so i think it like all those factors i think affect sort of what happens in the performance um but there will be and i think i'm still i still always feel like i'm practicing you know so there i'm trying to figure out what elements are required for you know that like sweet spot to happen yeah. where there'll be sometimes where it like does feel like something like very cool is happening and i'm trying to figure out what what makes it that way so i can like try and make it happen more consistently and the cool thing that you do and it's tough because i'm just like describing this the audience hasn't maybe seen you <laughs> perform um but it actually is a different like that thing that you're saying that sweet spot it is a different sweet spot than any other poet that i've seen perform where you're actually not going for the like response in the same way mm. like it is this like we are going to create this 15 minutes where like the air in the room doesn't move and some mm. of it has to do with the way you move between poems um and it's not like you don't go and that's that poem and then everybody <laughs> applauds like it just flows into this thing and you come out the other end like Man, what just happened? So basically, go see Safia live. <laughs> what I'm saying, but it's incredible. And no, you're I'm, have I'm to gonna take second that. I'm gonna second. I mean, I haven't uh, obviously seen you perform as much as Daniel, but I know I saw you at least at Nate's book release, mm-hmm. and I feel like I've I've seen a few videos. And there's definitely like we're doing this right now because we're like probably some of the we're like we give a lot of shit to poets, right? Because because <laughs> we've heard so many poems, right? Like we know so many poets, we've heard so many poems, so like. This is the compliment phase of the interview. Thank you. Uh, Are you going to talk shit about me after this? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Am I allowed to curse on this, by the way? We're not allowed, but we do it because we have beef with the FCC. What's up? Come see us. Awesome. All right. It's about that time. (laughs) I've been calling you out. What's good? Um, So yeah, feel free. Uh, But but yeah, we don't don't say this lightly because we've seen a lot of poems. Uh, And so I, I... I want to I want to go home first, but since we're like in the the work, like I, it feels weird to kind of just like jump off. The poetry is so interesting because it is such a live, like personal, interactive experience. Mm-hmm. But the majority of it comes from a very personal, separate place, right? Like the words on the page. Mm-hmm. Like you you can be as like enchanting and flowy as you want, <laughs> but, it, but it still is about the words. Linen pants, chunky so, jewelry, <laughs> not make a poem. So so I I, I want to like hear a little bit about your relationship to performance as you're writing in the craft itself right Mm -hmm. like are those two separate stages or as you're writing are you thinking about how it will be delivered Mm -hmm. or does does that is that like a do you try not to go there well I feel like I I'm not really like naturally inclined towards being a performer um Mm. it's very much like a muscle that I've had to develop um but shout out to the books huh (laughs) Um, but you know for a long time for me and still I think to some degree um, the writing is like where I feel most invested as far as the process of it Mm. so rarely as I'm writing something um, am I like 
how is this going to sound out loud, you know? But also, I, um, a lot of times after I finish a draft of a poem, I will read it out loud to myself. And that's just part of the editing process Mm -hmm. where a lot of times, you know, you can't pick up on page where something doesn't sound right. But once you hear it out loud, you'll hear that, you know, like that word has too many syllables or whatever. Um, But I don't think, again, that that's like, a question of performance as much as it is a question of needing the poem to like look good on paper, sound good out loud. Um, I'd need both of those things to be true to like feel like a poem is at a stopping Mm -hmm. point. But performance, I think was very, I mean, I, you know, I did um, youth slam when I was younger and I did college slam and I never, I didn't love slam really (laughs) at all. Uh, But it was the only space where I was seeing like young people of color doing poetry. So I right. figured like, I mean, if I want to write poems then I'm going to have to learn how to perform because that's it's kind like- of like a one company town when it comes to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as we're in LTAP season, talk a little bit more about the reflection, especially you said as a youth poet of, mm-hmm. of what was uncomfortable about the, the slam environment. I think because of the element of competition in it too. Um, and the kind of work that I think after a while people picked up on that was getting rewarded. Uh, it sort of became like, a weird environment of feeling like you had to commodify your trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I felt, I mean, this is more so in college slam where I was very lucky in the, like the youth slam environment I was raised in where we like, were not trained in competition and we like would like meditate together and go to the <laughs> farmer's market and like thrift um, and sometimes write poems. But you know, they were all like weird, like, abstract poems that weren't about anything about what whether something's a fruit or a vegetable yeah, i think yeah. it's i think it's i think it's important to like continually remind ourselves of that because like i grew up like before i even grew up like in love with ltap and mm. i pretty much learned about poetry through through slam mm. and i didn't even like have the lens to make that critique yeah. until now so i think it's important for us to like remember that balance of, yeah. of kind of the, the internal contradiction that's always being wrestled with yeah in, 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 and in then i think in so when I was slamming in college, I think is when it started to shift and where sort of the element of competition was much more present in how we were being trained as mm. poets. Um, and then it just got to a point where it felt like I was like being rewarded for being the most broken version of myself, mm. which like is like boring. Um, unhealthy. Yeah. Also that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I, I'm going to add on to the compliment section for a second. Um, right, we only got like, <laughs> but I think part of what I'm talking about, like get the, to the tears. <laughs> <laughs> now the most broken of part of yourself. No, let's, no, broken. <laughs> let's break it down. Again. <laughs> but I think part of what, like when I talk about that captivating feeling in the room is it feels like you actually, you know, you are not, yeah, you're just not playing that game. And it, it, it comes across in your poetry too. Like the same way that I'm talking about that, like suspension in like midair that happens when you're performing it happens like in the space between your lines on the page too. Like you, you play with space in such a like intriguing way. And it helped me even on tour, like having your book, like at a moment where I was frazzled or at, like I could open the book and like hide in those little spaces for a little, <laughs> like it was like a little like nook. Um, and so like in thinking about uh, figuring out how to tell your uh your stories and your places and, and all that. I think like, I want to get into, you know, politics or poetry as resistance and all that stuff and place it in this moment. But mm-hmm. before we go that realm, I want to like bring it all the way back home 
to you like talk about your mom a lot. Um, Very nice lady. So I want to make that the jump off. Tell us about your mom and how she like shows up, not necessarily in your poems, but in, in how you think about creating. Hmm. Uh, my mom, her name is Safat. She has a birthday coming up very soon. Happy early birthday. Happy early birthday, mom. When's her birthday? March 19th. Ooh. She's a Pisces. Um, make of that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what any of the words I actually don't know either. I just like make that Yeah, sound. I don't like quite know what that I'm means like, oh. in the context of my mom. She's like, <laughs> is like very in tune with her emotions. I don't know. <laughs> um, but and Pisces usually are not. I don't know, actually. The, I don't the, know the, very many Pisces other than my mom. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe like the internet can tell us. <laughs> <laughs> but in uh, terms of thinking about her relationship. Well, so we have, I'm her oldest um, and she had me very young. So we've grown up together in a lot of ways and we're very bonded in a lot of ways. Um, where, so her name is Safat, my name is Safia. It's to the point where we like share a lot of nicknames. <laughs> like a lot of the things that like people call us to shorten our name are the same. Mm. Um, so it like, I think even having that impulse to create or I think more so like the confidence to like make stuff and show it to people I think absolutely has to do with the way my mom raised me because she, you know, she was a single parent um, and like had to like go to school and go to work and stuff. But she would always bring me like books or crayons or stuff so I could make things and keep myself distracted. I didn't watch a lot of TV as a kid, whatever. Um, Mm. But she would, I would like, you know, like draw like a red line and crayon across the page and she would like tell me that it was amazing and would like put it on the fridge or whatever. (laughs) Shit, Rothko made a living off that. You're good. So a lot of like early attempts at writing too were, you know, came from my mom where like I would show her like a thing that I'd written for school and she'd be like, this is really good. And I'd be like, all right, well, like since my mom thinks this is good, like I also think it's good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Shout out mom, first of all. Super shout out mom. Where where, where was, so we've established you are not from Chicago. No. You're from the beyond. (laughs) (laughs) What, 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 What was home? Uh, oh, where, where, I know that's where, a loaded question. Where, where, Very loaded question. Where was home? Um, where were the homes? Well, all right. So, I was born in Rockville, Maryland. Um, very interesting. <laughs> and but I didn't move to the U.S. until 2001. Um, so we lived in Kenya, uh, Tanzania, England, Egypt, Switzerland. Um, in like the 10 years of my life before moving to the U.S. Um, with like some in-between time in Sudan, like what we figured out what country we were going to next. Um, so home is like, like who the fuck knows, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> um, and I think that's, I think that is why I am sort of so attached to my Sudanese-ness mm-hmm. um, because I think it was the only like constant fact of my home environment where like rarely were we like in the same country or city or whatever, like from year to year. Um, but like the house always felt the same because like the smells were the same and the music was the same and, you know, yeah. um, and I think that like made me feel more Sudanese than I would have if I'd like lived in Sudan or like had lived in any one place. Yeah. I mean, it's why I wanted to start with that before we kind of like zoomed out hmm. is like you are writing you you like you write places that and, and rewrite and like reassert places that like right now the same way like 
our military tries to wipe places off the face of the earth. Mm. Like our narrative is trying to wipe these places off the face of the earth. Mm. Um, and it seems as a reader, like you, you like resist by like demanding and asserting the humanity of the people in those places mm. and whether they're people who you love and know or people and places that you've never seen or people you've never met. Um, that's my outside. That's my thesis. Does that's that ring like, true? What do you what, what do you think? Uh, yes, I think that's also like way more eloquent than I ever could have like <laughs> described my project. Hit me up for the blurb. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the blurb guy. <laughs> no, no, I was gonna make a joke. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, how do you think about writing places that that one maybe you've never been to or two like how do you yeah how do you ground like the idea of resistance or or, or like liberation on the page for you? Well, I, as I like get older and increasingly like inconvenienced by politics, um, I think I just like don't believe in the nation state anymore True. as like a functioning entity. Oh, you just um, took off. <laughs> I, I want. I was like intrigued by the use of inconvenience in that context, <laughs> but but abolishing the nation state, you really tickle my fancy. <laughs> Let's, let's let's go down let's go down this road. <laughs> Tell me more. Well, because I think uh, like country making uh, is like violent and like like colonial and patriarchal and like often like white supremacist as hell. Yeah. Um, where and you know I am like a product of a failed post colonial African nation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and part of the reasons why we failed is because a bunch of white people showed up and like drew lines around people that had nothing to do with each other and told them to make it work. Mm -hmm. And then like wanted to like clutch their pearls when a civil war broke out. And then wanted, while they were also taking everything. Exactly. Them, right? um, so Where do you think they got those pearls? <laughs> <laughs> There's no pearls in England. <laughs> so, and I think so many of like the horrific things that have been done in the name of patriotism or nationalism, even in recent history, I think like, if anything should like call into question whether nationalism or patriotism is like a healthy attitude and where it comes from, because mm -hmm. it like, it is yeah. a sentiment born of separation where mm -hmm. it's always in order to feel patriotic or nationalistic, you have to have like an active sense of us versus them. Or, right. Or superiority. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like not interested in it anymore. Um, so that's super interesting though, in connection to you saying that everywhere you traveled, the like Sudanese-ness was the thing that ran yeah. true. Right. So how do you create that sense of that being a piece of who you are and how you identify that's not rooted in an us versus them? Like, yeah. Well, I think Sudan was sort of at the beginning of what started this thought process for me, where I feel deeply attached to my Sudanese-ness, but like not so much to Sudan as a nation state, Sudan mm -hmm. as a piece of land, mm -hmm. um, because that is where it starts to fail me every time. Where a lot of the times, you know, I'll like carry this like profound attachment to my Sudanese-ness and I will think that a lot of my like existential messes could be resolved if I were to just like physically be in Sudan. Mm -hmm. And this is like the fiction that I lived in for a really long time. But I like, I spent a lot of time in Sudan, you know, I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's up. Right. So I will go and I'll like expect, you know, the plane will land and I'll feel like this like existential uh, burden lifted. Home, right. Yeah. Um, and it like often is not at all that. And it, you know, 
so many times when I'm here and like something will happen to me that hurts, I'll think like if I were back home, this wouldn't be like that. Mm. Um, and then I'll go to Sudan, which is supposed to be this back home and like a new set of things that hurt me will happen. Yeah. So I think that, you know, the Sudan that I'm interested in is like not a political system, is not a country. It's like, you know, like my family and like okra and, mm. you know, like old Sudanese folk music um, and henna and things like that, where mm. things that are not like, I think it is possible to separate like the things that I love about Sudan and Sudaneseness from like the like real atrocities. I think that have happened under like the Sudanese name and under the Sudanese yeah. government. I, I would love to know, like, are you then starting to develop a vision, right? Because, because mm -hmm. what you just articulated very simply, right? Like it mm -hmm. wasn't complicated. It was like, really in-depth advanced analysis right mm -hmm. like you didn't use a lot of big words but like <laughs> that concept is hard for probably most humans in the world to get mm -hmm. to especially like um, super american americans right. who are like we hold on to our americanism really hard We're in um, flag on the bumper sticker and, and, and usually right like bef before they'll on even the bumper sticker on the windshield <laughs> inside the car at the window the, the way on the visor the yeah, right, right, <laughs> like, the like the way they usually block engaging a challenging idea such as the nation state is harmful mm. and we need to get rid of it. Mm. It's saying, well, then what are we going to do? Word. Right. And so in already being at that point of realize being it like kind of advanced, yeah. um, have you started to wrestle with like, well, what would feel better? What I, I do connect to my Sudaneseness, but, mm. but, did I say that terrible? Yeah. It's like not like a real world. Okay. With, so like there's okay. no rules. <laughs> um, but, but the nation state, is is ineffective, right? Yeah. What does what does a vision look like for you in response to that realization? So on a micro level, I think what I'm trying to practice now is um, being able to sort of maintain a strong sense of self identity that is not linked to any geographical space. Mm -hmm. um, and this idea that you know is also something that I got from my mom, where she says, "I made home." Um, mm. instead of like I found home which is like I think what I was trying to do for a long time mm. so this idea that mm. home is this ready-made construction that exists somewhere and you just have to like go to the place and it will be there which is like based in consumerism yeah. honestly it's like this idea if you move to white picket bird, fence yeah, and whatever yeah like that's this and it turns out like there is no for anyone there mm. is no retreat there is no place that you can go to and then everything will like melt away it's something when you get that like that flight instinct mm -hmm. which i think rings really true like on a human level mm -hmm. not to mention all of the like more present threats of that of like man we can just go somewhere else and we want to there there is nowhere else like yeah. this is this is all we got yeah and that's what so sort of what has been of like the many things that have been hurting me of like the political moment of these past Forever. way too many years yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um is that you know, um, Sudanese people are black people, right? Like contrary to right, like let's, some let's, things let's that like this. some people will try and convince you otherwise. Um, remember that little dude with the clock where everyone was like, he is brown. And I'm like, right. You know, Sudan's in Africa, right? Mm. <laughs> but so Sudanese people are black people come to the U.S. Um, and are now black Americans. Um, and like they're like is a whole new set of dangers that comes with that, where it is like dangerous to be black. I mean, it's like dangerous to be black everywhere on this mm -hmm. planet. Right. Um, but, specific everywhere, right. Yeah. But I think so much of how America is sold overseas is that like, if you just, you know, you save your money and you make it to the U S and like, 
it's this idea of this ready-made promised land, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Where so many, so much of my family like worked really hard and like left really awful political circumstances to come here with this idea that like, finally, like we're safe now. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, like plot twist, (laughs) actually, (laughs) like they're going to kill you here too. Um, So that, I think was the question that for... That is a real tragic plot twist. <laughs> <laughs> That's like some M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> so that, you know, it it made me, it makes me like so sad for my mom where the whole reason or like, I know, among the reasons we came here is that it was meant to be like a better life for us and this is where we're going to be safe and like my brother can like walk out on the street and not worry about getting shot by like a soldier. Um, but, you know, there is a parallel here that i think wasn't anticipated where so Mm -hmm. if like like this is where we came to be safe and it's not safe here either then like really where on this planet is it safe to be a black person and like so far with like the flawed nation state as the governing concept of like how how spaces are created in this world then there's like nowhere right now where it's safe to be a black person you're you're speaking to me in so many ways the thing i like i like to interrogate that idea of safety Mm -hmm. and like what does that mean Mm -hmm. uh because i think it's a myth and i think it's a white supremacist myth as well as like it's the idea of removing the threat of harm and that is a a a lie of Mm -hmm. like existence right like you die in your sleep and so they create all these systems and all of these like violent ways to create this unattainable thing uh yeah so yeah, I think learning that, right? Like that safety does not exist is another way that like you sound really real like, existential crisis. <laughs> <laughs> but to that to that point, one way that this is again another hypothesis. Hmm. Um we're doing it. I could imagine <laughs> just from like from knowing your work a little bit, one way that you can then like respond to that plot twist and that betrayal of this big idea is to then try to reclaim and rewrite and re-understand the place that you were coming from. Yeah. So I know you have, you know, a whole bunch of pieces about this, you know, the, you can tell me the details more. It's been a while since we were on the road, <laughs> the one where it's the party and the, they almost, the, the, yeah. the parents meet. I spent, I mean, I'm like, I still love to write out of this uh, imagined scenario, but I, for a while was writing a lot of poems, just like imagining my parents when they were like young and hot and in love in the eighties, <laughs> like turning up before the dictatorship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and trying to capture that, like, even if it's not a real moment, you know, who knows? You might yeah. know. I don't know what the real moment I, like, is. I can't, like, confirm that it happened. My mom won't tell me. <laughs> mm. So what does it do for you, though, to write that moment? It Well, first of all, I think it um, has helped me introduce some nuance to my relationship with my dad a lot, where I think imagining him as, like, a young man with good intentions towards my mother I think like humanizes a lot of what came afterwards. Mm. Um, And it's just like, I mean, I don't know if this helps reclaim my relationship with Sudan. I think if anything, it like introduces another level of like nostalgia and pain, right? Where Mm. I grew up again, hearing about this like mythical golden age of Sudan. um, And then like the story ends and I'm like not born until 10 years after that. Um, so to, I feel like I missed like the illest party in the world. Yeah, you have you have some like like nationalist FOMO here. <laughs> the, 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 the thing about those parties is that they're never as hot. Yeah, as like they get told. Yeah, right? because I mean it like also politically was a mess yeah, then, this, you know. The, like, but like the grass is always greener. It's all better. It's always better than the actual party. Because <laughs> like even because even in America we get that same like 
these kids today back in our day are like, what day are you talking about? Right. Are you talking about the eighties? Like mm. that's not <laughs> You mean the I'm, crack epidemic? You know, like, that could not have been it's like, no, 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 the fifties. Oh, you mean like we had just fought a war and we're fighting another war right. and like, there was still like Jim Crow said, Yeah. <laughs> there is there is no perfect past. Yeah. 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 And, and like, I don't know. This is I, I'm I'm trying to like be in the body of a listener right now because I can see how this might sound like a really like heavy and like mm. serious oh, sorry this, guys no no <laughs> but I'm saying the opposite like it's actually really like fulfilling for mm. me and kind of hopeful yeah uh, so I want to hear more I think what you said about your mom saying of like not finding home but making home was mm. really powerful to me so I want to hear how in your like young stage of your journey mm. how you're incorporating that into like life and work because as I heard it, it sounds so empowered. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I, I then was like sitting and reflecting before I asked the question and like countered it against the very like patriarchal middle class idea of homemaking, mm-hmm. right? And how that is a subordinated idea. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna throw that right back at you and like that kind of like Word. juxtaposition and, and, and well, how, do you, how are you making home? So I also home? like as someone who is actively trying to make home, I spend. I want to say like 75% of the year on the road, which I don't know actually where that number came from, but I spent like (laughs) a lot of my time in transit on the road in like cities that I like probably will not ever go back to. Um, And so the question then, because when I first started touring, being on the road felt like being on vacation where like my real life was on hold and I would like go do Mm -hmm. this travel thing and then go back to like home and my real life. Right. Um, Where just like by sheer math now, like this is my real life. Mm -hmm. Um, So home then becomes more of a matter of like identifying the rituals that make a moment feel like my real life. Um, So instead of like being on the road and feeling like I can like wake up whenever and like eat chicken nuggets for every meal, um, I have to try and like bring sort of the, the discipline that I hold myself accountable to when I'm like at Mm. home, home. Which is chicken nuggets only for breakfast. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, I'll yeah. like try and do most of the same stuff every day. Mm. And that makes routine. Yeah. And that like makes my like the foundation of my life feel more portable. Um Wow. That was my last time. I have no routine. <laughs> no, it takes like some real like um like uh like deliberation and like willpower and discipline. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Thanks, Dan. That's why we're co-hosts. Can't do it by yourself. But in that in that making home thing, like, do you feel the pull to to be not on the road as much, or like, is there something that feels, you know, you're talking about like that feeling of you can go somewhere else and it'll be this thing that you're looking for, and 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 shaking that feeling and grounding it in like this is my life now. Mm. Um, but do you still feel like you're you're, you're chasing something, or, or do you are you disillusioned of it? Do you want to? What I'm saying is, I have a six figure job for you here in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, is, are you Damn, tired I, of I it? I didn't yet? get that memo. <laughs> it, was, it was an email. I probably yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I texted you like seven times. And he doesn't respond to emails. Damn. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, are you tired of this? Like physically and emotionally tired of the grind, or is it still like? Does it feel liberatory to you to be able to just literally fly? Yeah. Well, so the thing is, I love it, right? Mm. And I didn't think I did. Mm. Um, but I think I thought I didn't love it because I thought I had to be in one place because that's the narrative that you're sold. And so 
a lot of that concern about having to find this one place, like pick somewhere to live and stay there, I think was it like an impulse that was more born out of shame than like actual need for my well-being. Where like, you know, because I like spend so much time on the road and that's like not how most people live their lives, then it like that must have meant that it was wrong. And it's super gender too, right? Yeah. Like the, you know, even just like the traveling salesman idea. Yeah. Like we're like death of a salesman is a popular play in America. <laughs> like this idea or the, you know, the rock star or whatever it is, mm-hmm. the dude who's like on the road all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So how is that changing for you now? Well, so I'm trying to be more okay so a couple weeks ago uh a friend of my some like a group of friends um decided that we were going to go see uh carlos who is a psychic and a masseuse at the same time (laughs) based in alexandria virginia yeah at the same time um and you know sounds like a reputable guy carlos Carlos is a real uh, stand-up individual (laughs) um so during my reading and i i don't know how much stock i like used to put in like you know that kind of stuff because again i'm like you're saying a lot yeah (laughs) um but you know i i think it opened my mind a lot where i think i'm like just trying not to write things off before i experience them now Mm -hmm. uh but what carlos the psychic said to me during my reading at some point was you love shame i was like damn carlos like you don't know my life (laughs) but also like say more (laughs) (laughs) also that's a bar (laughs) um And I think so much of how I used to distinguish between right and wrong in my own practices was born out of shame instead of out of like a desire to do right for the sake of doing right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that I, you know, I'm coming to terms with the fact that I like, I love being on the road. I, you know, I, I don't like the bus so much, but like trains, I love airplanes. I love, I get a lot of work done on like a tray table. Yeah. Um, I feel like often the best version of myself when I am in transit where I think I sort of, I feel more disciplined when I'm on the road than I do when I'm at home. Where mm. when I'm at home, all I want to do is like sleep till 2 p.m. and like catch up on my Netflix queue and maybe do my laundry by color, which is like the only like real productive Talk thing. Talk about discipline. <laughs> like, wow. I, I admire you greatly. You don't want to put like your oranges with your purples, you know, because everything. I have oranges and purples. <laughs> As someone with uh, a lot of oranges and purples. <laughs> but but to that point, I'm wondering if in this moment, um, like sociopolitically and just in terms of like, what is it? Are there, are you feeling like traveling there are new or heightened threats Yes. For you, and like, are there gigs that you're not taking or that you're thinking twice about in a different way? Um, so it's already starting to happen where there was, um, you know, fellowship application season just closed, and I was looking at a bunch of opportunities, and some of them I actively chose not to apply for because they were in parts of the country where I like felt like you know, the common attitude was that like people like me like aren't welcome here, I need to go back to where we came from, right. and like. You know, I would be called a Muslim. <laughs> um, and I I think this is the the most it's been like at the forefront of my decision making mm-hmm. where I mean, so far, like this leg of the tour in 2017 hasn't taken me to anywhere. Like, Can you super- say the name of the tour real quick? It's one of my favorite uh, things in the world. Is that a world tour or your girl's tour? <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of some- <laughs> Booker now. <laughs> You're killing it. You're killing it. Just on fire. But yeah, there there hasn't been anywhere so far, you were saying. Yeah, it's been mostly like fairly urban 
areas, um, which also is, you know, like the same. chances are like that's like my core demographic where I feel like, you know, white farmers are not going to super want to book me and hear about what I have to say. Or they just might not have the budget. <laughs> I, I want to, so there's two different things I'm thinking about and I'm trying to make it into one question hmm. in relationship to what we're talking about. Word. So like, I, I'm we'll here with you, you know, so let's see if th this works. So, you know, I'm, I'm hearing, uh, right. Like you, you're talking about a lot about traveling. So one, just like, congratulations, right? Like Thank you're you. an independent artist that like spends three fourths of your time traveling the country right. or the world, uh, which is like absolutely phenomenal and shouldn't be overlooked. Uh, so, we, you know, we, we talk about this thing of home, uh, and kind of also we're, we're like not getting too big into like the 45 and like what this actual moment is uh, for your, the, all of the identities that you're holding. Uh, but at the same time, it feels like you're on a lot of list. It feels like you're coming into prominence. Mm. It feels like you, you, you have a lane and, and there's a demand for what you, you do. Uh, so I want to hear a little bit about the fact that you said you're finding yourself in all of these African student unions, like nerdy <laughs> African student unions across the country. And, and are you feeling some type of new home or observing something and being able to travel to all these spaces and see the diaspora in these kind of like fractured ways? Uh, and then the other thing I want to talk about is like, like your face was on a building, like somebody put their face <laughs> on like two stories. And I just thought that was fucking cool. Yeah. And I feel like that's related to all the other things <laughs> I was thinking about, but you don't have to talk about that. But I just thought- With that, that it's just um, my <laughs> friend, Jess X Chen, who is a supremely talented artist and is like legit good at everything. Like mm. she's an amazing poet and also mm. an amazing, amazing like visual artist and she makes films and mm. is like very stylish. Yeah. Also, you know? <laughs> um, so she, she's like- interested in like murals as a medium now so there's this town in upstate new york there's also like a large mural of mahogany brown like down the street oh, that's what's up. um there's one of cool. uh, thai freedom forward should have murals yeah so they they just do a mural festival yeah, every year the photo shoots <laughs> <laughs> they do a mural festival every year and they like invited her to do a mural and she hit me up she was like hey can i put your face on a building and i was like yeah like never been asked that before but i i feel the answer is yes i was proud and like Almost envy, like damn. Nice. Like, what do you have to do? <laughs> you, get these bulbs going. you need a no world tour. <laughs> uh, if you want to see what that mural looks like, the picture on your on Safia's Ergo show page uh, is that photo of ah. her in front of the mural. So you can definitely. I didn't. Even, uh, I missed that. Check that out. But to the to the first question, which I've completely forgotten. Uh, no, just about about the feeling right now of as kind yeah. of the world is going down. Hmm. It appears that there seems to be like at least in your professional life somewhat of an uptick and the result of that you said is like finding these audiences and spaces mm -hmm. that are a much closer relationship to like the purpose of your work in many ways or at least yeah. the, the spirit of your work so the thing about the travel ban which is like like fucked up in every way right however uh prior to the travel ban people used to ask me like so they're like the questions i I'm asked now have changed in that before the question used to be like, where in South America is Sudan? Oh no. And now it's like, you're from Sudan. How's it feel to be on the travel ban list? I'm like, oh, so now, now you know where uh, it is. <laughs> it, it took an executive order. For people to look at a map. Thank um, you for racism. <laughs> um, <laughs> to that point, the three of the thing. countries on the list are in Africa. Yeah. And everyone's talking about the Middle East and three of the countries. Are in Africa. Right. Because people conflate Muslimness with Arabness a lot, and I have thoughts and feelings about it. Man, that's um, the next episode. <laughs> right, but um, 
you know, like, fuck you, Donald Trump, but also thank you for getting me gigs. <laughs> um, mm. Because now I think people are realizing that I'm like the only Sudanese person they know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> At least with a book. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think the being in a lot of like African student spaces has like partially to do with this moment politically, but I think it its roots are a lot started like a couple years before that, where I got involved with the African Poetry Book Fund. Um and they put out a chapbook of mine and this book is in partnership. They have a partnership with the University of Nebraska Press. Um, so they, I assume, had like a fairly large African readership before that. And in working with them, like I was introduced to their African readership. Mm-hmm. Um, so like they're like totally the ones who like, you know, put me onto the young Africans. <laughs> it was also so dope. Like when we would travel, there would be like the like four Sudanese people who would come to every reading and you were like, you are the rock star in their eyes. They're like, <laughs> and they like afterwards they swarm you and they all take pictures with you and they're like so 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 happy to see you. It like um, it makes my heart want to explode. It's the it's very very cute. Word. So before we get out of here, um, are you down to to share a piece? Maybe from the new book, the January Please Children. Tell us. Please tell is us it available it. now? It is absolutely available now. Where can people find it everywhere books are sold? People can find it everywhere books are sold. I don't know How about convenient. like brick and mortar uh, <laughs> institutions yet because I don't know if they started shipping out yet, but like totally on the internet for now. Word. Um, so you're down to share a piece? Yes. Um, let me, I feel like I should have chosen one in advance, right? No, that's okay. We, uh, we're never prepared on yeah, our end either. That's how we do it. And uh, as we mentioned up top, if you want to see Safi read, if you're listening live, you, you should come tonight to Halal if you hear me. It's at the Jane Adams Whole House Museum. It's part of Louder Than a Bomb. Uh, if you're li- listening on the podcast right when it comes out, the event is happening as you're listening. So stop listening and then go to the event. And if you're listening tomorrow, tough luck, bud. You missed it. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> and if you like us, bring us somewhere. We might even ask Safiya to come. Maybe when we're she's in, not already booked somewhere. Maybe when we're in DC, perhaps we'll talk off mic about that. It's all about um, the plugs <laughs> at Ergo Radio. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I was gonna try and like read something newer, but I can't find the pages where anything Sorry. is yet because I'm still getting acquainted with the book. Um, but we were talking about these poems I was writing about my parents like turning up. Oh uh, yeah, this is exciting. Back in the day. <laughs> Um, so this is a, in the book, it's two poems, but in my head, it's one poem. So I'm going to like read the two sections as one poem. Um, so, and the two titles are A Brief History of Silence and The Last Time Marvin Gaye Was Heard in the Sudan. At the Musicians Club in Umdurman, a singer is stabbed to death for playing secular music. The month before, a violinist on his way home is beaten by police his instrument smashed to matchwood. All the bars in Khartoum are closed down. All the alcohol in Khartoum poured into the Nile. A new law forbids women from dancing in the presence of men. Another bans song lyrics that mention women's bodies. At a party in Umdurman, light strung among the date palms, my not-yet-mother, honey legs in a skirt, opens her mouth and the night air is the gap in her teeth. She sings in a lilting English to a slow song, while bodies around her pair off and press close. Before he is my father, my father smokes a cigarette and shows all his teeth when he laughs, wants to ask the dark gold girl how her English got so good, what the words mean and could he sing something sometime into the gap in her teeth, but first, police arrive, 
rip lanterns from trees and fire a shot through the final notes of the song. And tonight, my parents do not meet. I'm so glad you read that one. That's, <laughs> that's the exact poem that I was thinking. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being here. Um, and uh, thank you for, 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 for doing what you, you do. Yeah, and. and Writing these words. We didn't even I talk said, about... We didn't talk about Ja Rule and Ashanti. We didn't talk about Ja Rule and Ashanti. <laughs> False advertising. Oh, we didn't, we didn't talk turmeric. about... Turmeric. Turmeric. Uh, just put it on your face. That's all I have to say. On your face? Yes. Or not your Facebook, your face. Like your actual face okay. with the skin. And we didn't even talk about Old Dirty Bastard. Damn. Um, you're a fan of Old Dirty Bastard. Yes. The Ja Rule Ashanti thing is interesting for me personally because I was like a big Ashanti, like prepubescent Ashanti She made it fan. cool to have she sideburns. Was, she did a lot she for was me. Like, <laughs> She was like my my first like sexy like pictures mm-hmm. on the wall, but Ja Rule was like one of my least favorite people <laughs> ever. And, like I was just always conflicted. All the Wait, time. why was he one of your least favorite? Because I just I just think he's just uh, uncontrollably whack, right? Like I just think right. as vocally, uh, oftentimes lyrically, right. but then just like like dispositionally. <laughs> if that's so a here's word. my. Uh like half-assed defense of Ja Rule. Okay. And that I am not it. about to sit here and like try and argue for his like merit or prowess as a rapper, as a lyricist, as a writer. Uh, I maybe will, but go on. But no. That's the, the New York thing. But <sighs> I think uh, part of like making good art is like knowing what your lane is and staying in it. Okay. okay. Ja Rule's lane exactly. in which he thrives the most is in pairing with like an R&B singer with like a certain like light like quality tone, of voice yeah. you know <laughs> and that like of- exactly <laughs> so i feel like when you pair that with his voice his voice like suddenly makes so much sense in contrast to that and i think he like i have a soft spot for him because uh i moved to america the year put it on me came out so it was on the radio all the time mm. um and it like to this day i think is like a whole song i hold near and dear to my heart but that i think is like the jar rule that i uh I'm invested in. Like, <laughs> <laughs> imagine new worlds. Imagine new Ja Rules. <laughs> we ended on a high note. Thank you again so much for being here. We'll be back uh, vaguely next week, I think. we oh, got to yeah, figure gotta it figure out. out. But we'll be around hey, we with some more strong voices from Chicago and beyond. Much love to the people. Peace. <laughs>